welcome to day two of the International Marxist University. Uh, my name is Joel. I will be your chair for today or for this session. Uh, before we get started, uh, there are a couple of announcements to make. Uh, as was the case yesterday, uh, we will be translating all of the sessions into uh, multiple languages, uh, which, as you can tell, is why there are pauses. Uh, if you go to the main page, uh, there's an option on the left of the page to uh, select which language you would like to listen to. Uh, this, this will take you to a Discord channel uh, where you can click on the... You need to make sure you click on the right session uh, to listen to the uh, translation of that session. Uh, and for any Spanish speakers, the, uh, the translation will be done in Zoom. So this session is titled Class Collaboration, Compromise, and the Crisis of Reformism. Uh, for this extremely important topic, uh, we have uh, Nicholas Alban Svensson, uh, who will present for 90 minutes, uh, including translation. Uh, we, we will then take a short break for 25 minutes, uh, and this will be followed by uh, a handful of interventions from um, members of the international Marxist tendency uh, from around the world. Uh, and this will be f following this, Nicholas will uh, respond to any questions or, or uh, sum up. And before I hand it over to Nicholas, I would just like to uh, encourage everyone to um, share pictures of themselves uh, watching uh, from home uh, so we can promote this uh, event online. Um, as well, I would like to uh, promote our international bookstore, uh, Well-Read Books. Um, it's more important than ever now, faced with this uh, unprecedented crisis of capitalism, that we educate ourselves in Marxist theory. Uh, so I encourage you to go to wellreadbooks.net. There will, there will be adverts for it. Um, in particular, uh, linked to this session, uh, I recommend Reformism or Revolution uh, by Alan Woods, which is very good on this question. Um, Okay, so without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Nicholas. Um, Nicholas, you. you good to go? Yeah, uh, thank you for listening. Um, I will, um, well, let's start. Over the past few years, uh, you will be aware we've seen the growth of a new or of several new phenomena on the left. Uh, we saw the, uh, the phenomena of Syriza, of Podemos, of Sanders, and of Corbyn. Although, sorry, I will pause for translation in the future. Uh, then we also have the social democratic parties, uh, and several of them have entered into a, a partial or a, into a deep crisis. And to understand uh, this phenomenon, I think it's worth uh, to go into uh, and consider what reformism really is, and to understand also what role it plays in society. Because all the mistakes, prevarications and betrayals, beyond those, there is an underlying problem. Um, what is reformism? Well, we can start with the most obvious. Uh, the reformists, they oppose a fundamental break with capitalism. Instead, they believe that in one way or another, that they can solve the problems of the working class by introducing a series of reforms. Um, now, Marxists are not opposed to reforms, but we don't think that reforms can solve uh, anything. In fact, Marxism explains why reforms are insufficient. They will not achieve the necessary transfer of power from the capitalist class to the working class. The economy will remain in the hands of the capitalists uh, and they will do anything in their power to sabotage these reforms, particularly if those reforms go beyond what is uh, affordable by capitalism, if you will. And the world market and the capitalist economy does not allow itself to be subdued by laws and regulations. And therefore, the beautiful programs of the reformists 
which promise a lot of nice things, many things we would uh, agree with, but they cannot be carried out uh, under capitalism. Now, Rosa Luxemburg pointed out uh, pointed this out 120 years ago uh, in her deba- debate with Bernstein. Now, this has been known to history as reform or revolution, but in reality, uh, it's not a question of reform or revolution, but reformism or revolution. And one of the... Um, Uh, points that she makes about uh, Bernstein uh, and also all his supporters in the German social democracy is that they have a disdain for theory. Um, uh, And the the question is maybe why? Um, And here is a quote from uh, the actual text. What appears to characterize this practice above all? A certain hostility to theory, in inverted commas. This is quite natural for our theory, that is the principles of scientific socialism, impose clearly limited, clearly marked limitations to practical activity. Impose clearly marked limitations to practical activity. Uh, And it's quite natural for people who run after immediate practical results. It's quite natural for people who run after immediate practical results to want to free themselves from such limitations and to render their practice independent of our theory. Basically, Marxism imposes limits uh, on what you can do. Uh, and uh, these limits uh, are an obstacle to the reformists in their practical activities. Whatever deals they want to make behind the scenes, uh, attacks on the working class that they wish to support. In the case of Germany at the time, they wanted to vote for the liberal uh, budgets. And so the Marxist theory was imposing, was not allowing them to do these things that they wanted to do. And so they were moved away from the theory Um, because they, well, they didn't understand it in the first place, but they uh, intuitively understood that this theory was was an obstacle to them doing what they wanted to do. Um, uh, But what, what is this theory? Uh, Marxists have drawn certain conclusions based on the experience of the struggles of the working class. And this is now, we now have um, two centuries of experience to draw upon. And that's not even mentioning the experience of the bourgeois revolutions that came before that. But the conclusions that you draw from an understanding of these events are directly contrary to what the reformists want to carry out in practice. And one of the crucial questions is the nature of the state. Now, uh, Trotsky explained... I'm going to try to break up this quote again. Uh, The question of the nature of the state before and after the conquest of power is one of the decisive criterions which separates Marxism from all other tendencies in the labor movement. From the Paris Commune, Marx and Engels drew the conclusion that the working class cannot seize the ready-made state machinery and use it for their own purposes. Basically, They cannot take over the bourgeois state and and use it to uh, create socialism. And you and this and this was shown in the Paris Commune, where when the working class came into power, they uh, put up their own state. Ten minutes, Nicholas. Has been shown uh, many times since, but it hasn't stopped the reformists from attempting to use the bourgeois state time and time again, with completely disastrous results. Um, sometimes, uh, particularly in the case of a revolution, which precisely poses the question of power. Um, now, this theory or this understanding, this experience is uh, an obstacle to making this very same mistake once again. 
and therefore also the reformists will uh, uh, will not want to draw this conclusion. And they do not want to hear anything about uh, uh, the history of uh, these struggles. Um, so instead, they must um, uh, base themselves on uh, bourgeois or petty bourgeois ideas um, in the sphere of uh, economy, philosophy, and history. And when we insist that that these ideas are alien to the labor workers' movement, it is not because they don't exist in the labor movement, but because they are fundamentally bourgeois ideas. And just like their bourgeois, uh, just like uh, all bourgeois science and um, philosophy, uh, the reformists are played by empiricism. Uh, that is, uh, as uh, I don't know where the, where the phrase comes from, but it's been used a few times. Uh, slavish worship of the established fact. Um, uh, worship, slavish, like a slave, worship of the established fact. Um, that is basically, they, they, they just see, the, see what is in front of them and cannot see uh, beyond uh, just the realities as it exists at this very moment in time today. They are completely to understand, incapable of understanding the ups and the downs in the class struggle and will therefore have a tendency towards euphoria when the class struggle is on the up and depression when the class struggles are going down. Because rather than understanding the larger historical process, they can only see what's happened in the last few months. And the, uh, and the class struggle is a drawn-out process. It's not really resolved over a question of months. Um, they are actually capable, some, the left reformists are capable uh, of defending uh, the Soviet Union, for example, uh, the, uh, or uh, uh, the Cuban Revolution, but only once it has already been established, but only once it is already a fact. They, they despise the revolution, but uh, once uh, the revolution has uh, uh, already been achieved, then they can accept it. You can actually see that in some of the Mensheviks, who were quite happy to, uh, oppo- who were obviously opposed the revolution in 1917, but after the revolution had been victorious, were quite happy to uh, align themselves with the state bureaucracy and the Stalinist machinery. And what many of them became uh, prominent in the Stalinist uh, Communist Party uh, in the decades after the revolution. Because, because besides, just like the Stalinist bureaucracy, there was a continuity between being against the revolution uh, before, uh, in 1917, and being against the revolution in the 1930s. They are defending basically the status quo. Uh, and they much prefer to be, uh, to, uh, also the uh, a deformed worker state uh, to a healthy worker state, precisely because the Stalinist bureaucracy is their soulmate, and they share the same fun- uh, many of the same traits. Um, now, um, in general, their whole outlook on uh, to pol- on politics is to base themselves on shortcuts. Uh, basically, they want to set themselves tasks that can be achieved quickly within capitalism. Or at least tasks that can uh, that appear to be possible to achieve within capitalism. And socialism is a question that can be left to the future. So they would uh, stay away from any questions that somehow uh, threaten uh, the capitalist rule as a whole. Uh, stay away from uh, questions or demands that threaten the capitalist system as a whole. Um, and try to find various types of reforms that the capitalists can in one way or another accept. Um, but uh, there are no shortcuts, and they don't want to hear uh, about this. 
um, they, they are in fact trying to promote the very idea that you do not have to change society. They insist that you can actually get all the things that you want without touching the capitalist system. Uh, and this is like a very bad builder um, who will, uh, when you ask him how much it will cost to repair a crack in your wall, he says it'll be very cheap. All you need is a bucket of paint and I'll just paint over the crack. But in, but in the Marxists, on the other hand, they are like the more serious builder who will investigate the source of that crack and will probably find that you need to make, uh, you might need to dig new foundations to the house. And so 20 minutes, your, Nicholas. Your bill for these, uh, for digging the new foundations will be much more expensive. And so the reformists, they are like the charlatan builder who, who will try to sell you a bucket of paint when you need to dig new foundations. And for the working class who are under, under, constantly under pressure by daily life under capitalism, this might seem like uh, the easy way out. Most workers will try the easy route before they will try the hard route. Um, and this is what uh, the, the reformists basically base themselves on. They base themselves on the backward layers of the working class, which haven't yet understood the need to change society. And rather than trying to advance them, trying to uh, raise their level of consciousness, they try to sell them easy solutions. They try to sell them easy solutions. Uh, and in the end, uh, the workers will have to pay the price um, if, the, uh, if the leadership isn't rectified uh, in time. Now, Marxists have a different approach. Uh, we, say, we say what is. We act, when something cannot be done under capitalism, we say that it can't be done under capitalism. If, they, if the reformists say we can solve the, um, uh, the problems of the crisis by printing money, we, we say clearly this cannot be done. And in fact, this approach was already there in the Communist Manifesto, where in the last paragraph, uh, Marx and Engels, they write, the communists disdain to conceal their views and aims. The communists disdain to conceal their views and aims. Basically, they, they will not conceal their views and aims. They openly declare that their ends can be attained only by the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. And this is precisely what the reformists do not want to say. But rather, they would like to say, to give fairy tales, which is this, about the possibilities of reforms under capitalism. And this is, uh, has always been true, but it's particularly true now. Now, from, uh, from that step of saying that the socialist revolution is impossible or unnecessary, is un impossible or unnecessary. There is an inevitable next logical step. Uh, and that is to say that the rev socialist revolution is not just impossible, but also undesirable, desirable, uh, wanted. Or, um, and, um, uh, and you find the reformists always finding faults with revolutions. And in their limited understanding, the violence, the upheaval, disruption is a completely... Um, it's only for the uh, negative. The violence and upheaval uh, uh, and destruction is just a massive uh, negative thing that, or disaster that occurs. In a revolution, a revolution brings about with it violence, upheaval and destruction, uh, economic uh, difficulties. And the reformists see this and they say, well, look, there are all these revolutions are bad because they disrupt the capitalist economy. And so they see... Um, they go from a position of not understanding it. They don't understand the cause of revolution. Then when it arrives, they are completely opposed to it. And so, um, and 
even this is even the case when they are sometimes brought into power on the back of a revolution and they are intensely uncomfortable about sitting at the head of the revolution of a revolution and because of all the pressure that they are under from the working class whilst at the same time they are busy trying to make a deal with the capitalist class because that's the, the another inevitable conclusion that if you do not if you do not accept the taking of power of the working class then you inevitably wound up having to accept the power of the capitalist class and this they do and from that conclusion the next conclusion is that they must make some kind of arrangement or deal with the capitalist class because how can they be uh, at, uh, in government in a society where the capitalist class is in power but the reformists are at the head of the government so inevitably they will try to seek uh, some kind of accommodation with the capitalists um and so um I mean, this even goes to the point where they establish uh, what they become like um and this yeah they become basically bourgeois fighter they become like uh, become close to the bourgeois also socially and materially and the bourgeois will um uh, open the door for them at least temporarily uh, to try to corrupt them and uh, trotsky uh, makes his observation in uh, where is britain going when um, the um uh the leaders when the labor party leaders started to uh, socialize with the ruling class and there was an uproar in the elements of the labor movement when this was discovered 30 minutes and then trotsky says if they stand on the position of an implacable class struggle there will be no place for any kind of friendly relations he used another word there but uh, i simplified it uh labor leaders will not yearn to be in the bourgeois circles nor will the bourgeois see let them in but the leaders of the labor party def- defend the idea of the collaboration of classes and the reproachment of their leaders or the coexistence of their leaders so um inevitably the 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 leaders of the reform the reformist leaders will have a tendency towards fusing with uh, the capitalist class and they will even go so far as to attempt to create the most optimum conditions the most optimum conditions for the exploitation of the working class uh, because a system in uh, a, a capitalist system in crisis will not give any money for reforms and so the uh, and also the money for investments will never be in some way has to come from the unpaid labor of the working class it has to come from profits so defending the capitalist system also means defending the profits of the capitalists and so you see the uh, particularly the right reformists are very keen to ensure that the, uh, the profitability of the capitalist companies um and so strikes and wage demands if they are what unreasonable will be an obstacle to those kind of uh, to those profits so um also the reformists have a tendency towards uh, they like to find think that the state can solve the problems of the capitalist system that's why keynesianism is their favored uh, flavor um and they like they don't like to remember Keynes the person but they quite like to remember the bit about him spending a lot of money because the whole point of keynesianism was precisely to um uh prevent socialism to stop a revolution and the workers taking power and if you read Keynes writings you find precisely that he says that um and and this is what uh, and Yanis Varoufakis he uh gave voice to this desire when he said that the role of Syriza is to save the capitalists from themselves or words to that effect 
the bourgeois uh, politicians are bad managers of capitalism, but the reformists, and even better, the left reformists, they are good managers of capitalism. They understand how to make the balance between the workers' demands and the capitalist demands, and so how to um, uh, basically make society good for capitalists and workers. And it's not an accident that this was also combined with the view that there, re- there is no possibility of a revolution today, because that's what um, um, what uh, he was arguing. He said there is no party today that can take power. There is no party uh, ready to take power today, political party. And so uh, we're going to have to live with capitalism for a while. And so we must make the best conditions for capitalism so that this political party has the best conditions to develop. And so from his pessimistic outlook on the prospect of revolution and also him denying his own role in uh, that process, that is, he denies that he plays a leading role in that process in Greece of leading uh, towards revolution. From that, he draws the conclusion that it must be his role to save capitalism. And he's not the first one to draw that conclusion. And it's, it's very similar to what Bernstein was arguing uh, about in the, at the end of the uh, 19th century. Um, and all of these uh, leaders, they deny, regardless of whatever pretty phrases they use, the fundamental contradiction between capital and labor and the labor theory of value. That is, the struggle over the surplus value is not, uh, they deny. Um, um, now, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, over the past few years, we've seen a, a swing uh, to the left uh, in a number of parties uh, across Europe in particular. 40 minutes. And it brought to power a number of leaders that probably never had imagined themselves being uh, leaders of a major mass political party. Um, and uh, this is, again, not the first time this has happened in history. The same thing happened in the early days of the Labour Party. In the 1920s, when the uh, leaders of the Independent Labour Party were put at uh, the head of the Labour Party. And this, Trotsky explains, was, a swing, was the result of a swing to the left in the uh, British working class. This is the same period also when the Labour Party adopted this famous Clause 4 of the Constitution which committed the party to the socialist transformation of society, if uh, in, sl- in some slightly confused wording. Um, and Trotsky had this to say about uh, this phenomenon. The deep swing to the left of the British working class that brought MacDonald's power, party to power unexpectedly rapidly facilitated the latter's manifest swing to the right. Such is the link between yesterday and today. So the confused ideas of MacDonald uh, during the First World War when he was a pacifist, he were generally on the left to the left of the Labour Party in that period. But when faced with the, uh, uh, becoming the leader of, a polit- of the Labour Party, these confused ideas that he had beforehand were suddenly met, or the leaders in, of the ILP in general had, were suddenly met with having to face the real, uh, real politics, if you will. And so uh, uh, half-finished formulations, uh, ideas, uh, eclectic ideas, picking and choosing from here and there, suddenly when faced uh, with the test of becoming the leader of a mass political party, all, uh, all, this, um, all this confusion uh, forced uh, the leaders to, to the right because they were completely ill-equipped at dealing with the real problems faced with the working class. 
they were incapable of facing uh, to the problems faced uh, or the the tasks uh, faced uh, at that particular time. And so from being on the left, they very quickly became to the right reformist. Um, because there was no um, there was no opportunity to uh, for those kind of confusion when you're actually faced with the real situation uh, at the head of a mass party, and I think there's a very strong link there between what happened with uh, Corbyn over the last period. Now Corbyn came to power on a uh, as a very left-wing Labour politician um, because he he was actually I mean if you look at the way that he voted uh, and the resolutions he put forward in Parliament and so on, there's very little to object to. Um, but uh, the ideas, he was not a Marxist and he was not a revolutionary. He flirted with those ideas, maybe. But from his old outlook, you can tell when he spoke that he was not a Marxist. We have a separate session, this school, about pacifism. And uh, Corbyn was a pacifist. He did not understand the nature of war and the nature of the state. He did not prefer to face up to the realities of class society as a result. And so when he came, I mean, he's known also for being a very nice and friendly guy, um, which is uh, very ironic given how the media then portrayed him. But he kept trying to appease the right wing of the party. And this is not news either. In fact, this has happened time and time again, that the left reformists, they always chase after the right reformists. And the right reformists are chasing after the liberals and the conservatives, the bourgeois parties. And so you have uh, this, uh, you can have this uh, constant stream of politics towards the right, which we see in several countries at the moment. That is on the surface of things, uh, in the statements of the leaders of the political parties and so on. But the Corbyn tried to constantly appease the right wing. He did not understand that the right wing fundamentally represents the interests of the ruling class inside Labour Party. 50 minutes. And the ruling class had no interest whatsoever in allowing uh, Corbyn to become prime minister. And as a result, the right wing of the party was completely adamantly opposed to, to Corbyn becoming a prime minister. And that uh, Corbyn was completely incapable, incapable of dealing with. He was not prepared to fight, at least not uh, to, uh, to fight to the end with the right wing of the party. It has to be said that he, he had a lot of pressure on it and he withstood that pressure more than many other leaders. But during his uh, uh, what was it, four years as leader of the Labour Party, he failed to deal a decisive blow against the right wing. It's very different to what you see the right wing is doing right now in the Labour Party, where they feel very confident because they got the backing of the ruling class and they know it. The whole political establishment, the media, the church even. Uh, and so they are very confident in trying to strike a blow against the left now, whilst uh, it's not so much Corbyn, maybe he's a bit out of it, but a number of the left now are still trying to find an agreement with the right wing. So they are still trying to find an agreement with Keir Starmer at the same time as he to everyone. It, it's not even a secret that he's trying to get push the whole of the left wing out of the party. And I would say that that was the main f- failure of Corbyn. But you can also see the same kind of uh, political problems um, that um, arise uh, when it comes to how to deal with the capitalist class and the capitalist economy. And there were the Labour Manifesto uh, was very good in a lot of ways. It raised a demand for a lot of reforms, but they um, they were um, uh, and and actually they even raised the question of nationalisation. 
and uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, also workers' control, if in a very weak way. But this was combined with constant overtures to the capitalist class. John McDonnell is um, very theoretically eclectic. At one point, he went on TV and called the capitalist class wealth creators, which is complete... Well, I mean, <laughs> these are this, particularly in Britain, where the capitalist class is the most parasitic of any kind... Well, maybe bar a few smaller nations, but it's one of the most parasitic capitalist class in the world. And John McDonald goes on TV and calls them wealth creators. When even uh, the most basic reading of Marxism, Marx, you understand that it's not the capitalists are the wealth creators, but it's the workers who are the wealth creators. But still, John McDonald likes to call himself, and at least some of the time, a Marxist. And these kind of contradictions obviously uh, serve to confuse uh, rather than clarify uh, the situation. And again, I think we've, in the case of John McDonald, you're someone who is very friendly to the left. He sometimes says very radical things, but he also says the very opposite at another occasion. So he would one moment it's the capitalist are wealth creators, next moment it's the workers are the wealth creators. And so you have this um, weird. Uh, and so he he does the only way to explain this, um, and other than that, he is generally maybe I I don't actually think he is as confused as his statements are. But it's a deliberate tactic of his, of trying to appease everyone, so appease the capitalists by saying nice things about them, then uh, make some radical speeches to the workers, so they will be feel happy. But in all this, he doesn't recognize that he himself is a leader, and that he what he says has an impact. So when he uh, when he basically called on a number of occasions, he called for Labour Party branches not to uh, remove their right-wing Labour MPs because he was trying to make some deal with the right-wing. And he does not recognize the disastrous consequences that that has, how it completely disarms the movement. Um, um, so I think um, these are some of the main... Uh, these, this example of Corbyn highlights some of the main problems of the left reformists. It highlights the problems of the left reformists. They also make a number of unprincipled concessions, unprincipled concessions, um, like, for example, uh, on the question of the European Union. And that wound up being, at, this, at the time, it must have seemed like a small thing. 60 that, minutes. That they were, the Labour Party was to support uh, staying in the European Union. It was done in the first month of Corbyn's leadership. But that little mistake at that time, or what seemed like a little mistake, or a little compromise with the right wing of the party in order to not have in the first month a big battle over this question. Well, we see what happened. <laughs> the, uh, the electorate did not vote the way that, uh, that uh, Corbyn had imagined they would. I think uh, everyone in the, thought that the British people would vote to stay in the European Union. And if that had been the case, then probably this small compromise wouldn't have had such disastrous consequences. But <laughs> this is a lack of foresight. This is lack, but they do not, cannot see into, do not understand the process that's taking place and therefore cannot see into the future. And um, uh, they could not see that the European Union referendum might very well turn out differently to what everyone expected. Ironically, Corbyn, for many, uh, for his most of his political life, had been advocating for a leave. But when he actually got that outcome, which he had been advocating for, he was completely unprepared for it. 
And so this little um, concession turned out to be a big disaster. Uh, in the end, it gave them, uh, it became the Achilles heel uh, the, of the whole of the uh, Corbyn movement. Because all the, a whole section of the left of the Labour Party moved from uh, into a pro-EU position, partly or to a large extent because of what decision the Corbyn took. And this enabled the right wing then in the latest after the referendum to seize upon this in order to launch a numerous of campaigns uh, on the basis of pro-EU, uh, on the number of pro-EU campaigns, even to the point where the main pro uh, referendum camp, uh, pro second referendum campaign in Britain was off the Corbyn left. So the the main campaign for the second referendum in Britain a year ago or two years ago was uh, who, which was funded by uh, the capitalists, but they were paying the f- wages of uh, Corbynistas, and this was a deliberate wedge in order to drive to split the Corbyn movement, um, which was organised by the right wing. People like uh, Tony Blair and Alistair Campbell and so on. Um, and the, the other uh, phenomena that we've seen on the left have similar have uh, encountered similar obstacles. Uh, if you take uh, Sanders, for example, Bernie Sanders, uh, again, he was trying to tame the Democratic Party. He was trying to turn the Democratic Party into a workers' party. Well, that's a generous interpretation anyway but constantly had uh, made uh, overtures to the Democratic Party establishment. He played, played by the rules, as they say, which was completely uh, uh, distorted against him. Uh, and if the rules were insufficient uh, to stop him, then the Democratic Party establishment simply cheated. And faced with this, uh, Bernie Sanders capitulated. Um, and um, uh, with the excuse of lesser evilism, uh, to support first Hillary Clinton, and now she, uh, he's su- uh, supporting uh, Joe Biden, which are not the representatives of working class in any shape, sense, or form, but mainly another wing of the capitalist class. And this is uh, quite obvious to a lot of Americans, particularly today. Um, and so his whole movement, he fell flat on his face. And all the movement, uh, all those enthusiasm that uh, built up just collapsed. And uh, there's clearly no way uh, through the uh, Democratic Party. Um, and then we had, uh, I mentioned already partially the example of Syriza, where Varoufakis, he was on the left wing, you might say, of that uh, party. Well, maybe left wing is too strong a word, but in the government, he was kind of the left wing. And he, uh, and he wound up resigning over the question of uh, the memoranda. But his whole outlook was uh, not dissimilar from that of the, le- uh, the leaders who supported the memorandum, um, which was, uh, if you remember, the actual um, the negotiations took place in the European Union. And the leaders of Syriza, they had the idea, basically, they could enter into those negotiations and get a better deal than what they had already. Basically, they thought that the, ca- the previous government had been uh, bad negotiators uh, and by just uh, uh, being a bit more forceful negotiators, they will be able to secure a better deal. 70 minutes. And, that, um, and this was proven to be completely false. Um, they faith was faced, were faced with even more hostility than the previous uh, round of negotiators. And the, and the deal that they wound up signing was even worse than what has been there before. 
And they had completely underestimated the intransigence or the hostility that that uh, the captain's class. And uh, they made lots of overtures. Uh, they opened, they get, stretched out a friendly hand to the, the capitalists in the world. I can't remember if it was Shipgas or uh, Varoufakis who wrote uh, articles in the Financial Times where they were promising that they were going to be very good managers of the Greek economy, that they were going to make sure that everyone got their money back, pay back all their debts, that they in no way were going to threaten the capitalist system or the capitalist property, and so on. But none of this had made any impact at all. And even when they had this massive refer- they've had this massive campaign around the referendum, well, they probably didn't have plan for it to be so massive, but it wound up becoming massive because the Greek masses entered. Um, and so the big uh, no vote, which was delivered in that referendum, the, I, think, I can't remember the figures, but it was a big vote for rejecting the memorandum. But unsurprisingly, uh, this failed to convince uh, the European Union. But rather, when he came back after that campaign, they gave him an even worse deal than what he had had before. Why? Because they needed to punish him for uh, basically having attempted to mobilize the masses against the European Union. It would set a very bad precedent, basically, if you allow the working class to have a say over the memoranda. The European Union was in no way interested to have this Greek, Spanish or Italian working class at the negotiating table when they were negotiating the memoranda. And so the um, uh, Syriza, uh, faced with this interest engines, uh, they uh, capitulated. And it, it's, it's just it's linked to the position that they fundamentally had, which is that there is no alternative to capitalism. And that they, so if you accept the capitalist system, you have to accept uh, the capitalist cuts, the capitalist austerity. Uh, and uh, this is what they wound up doing. It didn't take long. It took only a few months. Um, and another party that didn't even make it into government is Podemos, which has now joined with United Left. But it started off making very radical noises. Uh, and in uh, periods, it moved quite far to the left. But when the prospect opened up to be able to take part in government, the movement very quickly, the leaders very quickly shifted to the right and attempted to present themselves with a nice image uh, on various questions. One crucial one was the, uh, the question of the Catalan independence, where they uh, basically abandoned the Catalans, which was a condition for them working together with the uh, Socialist Party, which uh, if you've read Alan's book, you know, accepted the uh, unity of uh, uh, Spain in its own very own compromise with uh, the Spanish reactionary ruling class. In general, the, uh, the national questions is a big weakness of the reformists who are completely incapable of understanding the uh, difference between the, um, the difference between the national aspirations of a place like Scotland or Catalonia and the reactionary uh, nationalism of British imperialism. Uh, in, in fact, the Scottish Labour left, they insist that, the, uh, the, uh, that it's the same thing. So the nationalism is rising in Scotland and nationalism is rising in England and it's the same thing. So the right of the Scottish to self-determination is exactly the same thing as the um, uh, reactionary program of uh, Boris Johnson. 
So the asp- national aspirations of the Scottish is the same as the Brexit and the right wing of the Conservative Party. Um, and they are completely too incapable of understanding the difference between those two. Um, in general, uh, it has not been an easy period for the parties of the left. And superficially, that might seem like uh, a contradiction. Here we have the biggest crisis of capitalism for um, 80 years. And all the parties that in some way or another promises uh, a different kind of system, uh, if only it's a small change, not a fundamental change, but they all in one way or another wound up in a crisis. Um, I think even there was, I mean, even being some of the uh, uh, bourgeois commentators have uh, commentated, have commented on this fact. Uh, Where is this kind of 10 minutes left socialist or communist parties where is this right how come the left is in a big crisis where at the same time as capitalism is in crisis uh but it's actually uh, uh there is a link between the two and um it's be- precisely because under uh in a crisis capitalism can no longer afford the reforms and what is reformism without reforms uh trotsky wrote about this commented on this as well viewed historically Reformism has lost completely its social host. host. Without reforms, there is no reformism. Without reforms, there is no reformism. Without prosperous capitalism, no reform. The right reformism, the right reformist wing becomes anti-reformists in the sense that it helps the bourgeois directly or indirectly to smash the old conquests of the working class. And where was this not, uh, it was very obvious in the case of Greece, where uh, PASOK was completely destroyed by its support for the earlier memoranda. Well, there are, they are still around a little bit, but there's very, they hardly exist now. Uh, you can see it in the French Socialist Party, which has faced a similar fate, because they are doing the dirty work of the capitalist class. And in other countries, the process has... Uh, uh, begun, but hasn't uh, gone as far as in those two. But obviously, left reformists doesn't don't actually have anything fundamentally different to offer. Uh, but rather, they um, they just uh, they just produce, present a slightly left wing version of the same program as the right reformists, maybe covered up with a few more left or even Marxist phrases. Um, but without being able to deliver any reforms, what is the point of reformists? It doesn't make any sense. And obviously, the workers will uh, try these uh, outfits out. They will attempt to uh, vote these parties into power. They will test them. They will test them. Uh, they will see um, see what happens when they get elected. Uh, will uh, whether that will solve the problems? And invariably, the answer is no. And obviously, that promote that provokes a certain um, disillusionment in the class and demoralization among a whole layer of activists as well. And uh, confusion. Um, there was actually a good quote in Reform or Revolution by Marx, uh, where um, Marx explains the long drawn out nature of the uh, proletarian revolution, uh, how it goes through its peaks and its troughs, um, and uh, how it tests all the different tendencies in the labor movement, uh, but it's constantly learning and, and uh, learning in the process. Um, and our attitude towards this, these phenomena, uh, I think it's in the, uh, what uh, Ted Grant wrote. I forgot the name of the text, but uh, um, the Marxist wing of the Labour Party will tirelessly explain the contradictory position of the left, their lack of foresight, 
their empirical reaction to events. At the same time, they will support, critically, every step forward taken in the mobilization of the workers in the trade unions and in the party branches. And I think that's, that remains our role today. This was uh, about the 1970s, it was right, or 1960s, actually, he was writing this. Um, but we must, <laughs> we must continue to patiently explain, as Lenin said, how the programs uh, the, are impossible to carry out under capitalism, but also the need for Marxist theory, the need to understand the society which we live in, also understand the lessons of the past, because all these things are the things that they completely don't want to deal with. Because, they, because if you understand those questions or you understand those things, it, has certain, it means you have to draw certain conclusions. And the only conclusion you can draw is that, left, is that reformism doesn't work. It cannot solve the problems of capitalism and, it cannot solve the, and therefore it cannot also not solve the problems of the working class. And all this um, uh, is the task that we have before us. The working class consists of different layers. Some draw revolutionary conclusions much quicker than the others. At two minutes, Nicholas. And it's not a uniform process. First go one, then you have two workers, then three workers. Um, but it, uh, there is a small layer, a trickle for a period. And then suddenly you have a change in, in the situation. And there's a whole flood coming at once. And you can see the change in consciousness sometimes in opinion polls where, um, and you can, uh, for example, in the United States at the moment, where you have this massive shift uh, in, from people thinking socialism is a bad thing to socialism is a good thing. And in that big layer of people thinking that socialism is a good thing, there is a layer that thinks that communism is a good thing. Now it's only 5%, but 5% out of 250 million is quite a lot of people. And so um, from our point of view, our goal is, uh, yes, we have to patiently explain. Also because it's a method of, this is, this is the right approach to winning the mass, who are not yet, yet drawn the revolutionary conclusions. But at the same time, our, our, our immediate task is to reach those young people and workers who have drawn those revolutionary conclusions and win them and organize them in the Marxist tendency. Uh, and I'll leave that out. Well, thank you, Nicholas. Um, so yeah, we are going to take a, uh, little break now for about 20, 23 minutes. Uh, but we, and we will reconvene at three o'clock, uh, British summertime. Uh, and we will have, uh, a number of interventions from, uh, uh IMT activists, uh, around the world. Uh, yeah. So see you all in like 22, 23 minutes. Uh, we are back. Uh, yep. So we will have a few speakers here. Uh, from around the international, uh, starting uh, with Frederick from uh, Sweden. Okay, Frederick, uh, you good to go? So, hi, I'm uh, Frederick from the Swedish section of the IMT, and I think for a and I think for a long period, for many workers in the advanced capitalist countries, reformism and class collaboration really seemed to work. This was based on the upswing of capitalism after the Second World War, but that period is now over. The crisis of capitalism also creates a crisis of reformism, like Nicholas explained. And I thought I would use Sweden as an example. My grandmother was born in 1925. Her family were poor contract workers in the countryside. And I remember my grandmother telling me that when she was 14, the lousy house that she was staying in burnt down. But she didn't have any possessions anyhow, except for a small photograph that she was sad to have lost. They were very poor. But when she died a few years back, 
She was living comfortably in a nice big terraced house with a small garden, nice furniture, etc. She had everything she could have wished for. And I think this example is not uncommon, uh, neither in Sweden nor in many other advanced capitalist countries. Especially in the period after the Second World War, living standards increased massively. In Sweden, you had full employment, free healthcare, free education, cheap housing, childcare for everybody, decent unemployment benefits, decent pensions, and so on and so on. You had a creation of the so-called welfare state. But all this was only possible due to various specific circumstances. The strength of the workers' movement and also Sweden being just next to the Soviet Union. And both of this, these things acted as a good whip in the back of the bourgeoisie. It was very clear what would happen if the bourgeoisie didn't concede reforms. But another, another thing was just as important. The general post-war upswing in the economy. And also, actually, that Swedish, Sweden collaborated with the Nazis during the war in order not to be attacked by the Nazis. Five minutes. And after the Second World War, the entire world was in ruins. But the Swedish industry was intact and it could in increase its export massively. And this created massive profits for the capitalists. And in order then for, to, avoid, to avoid strikes and class struggle, the bourgeoisie could concede reforms. But with the international crisis of the 70s, it, it became clear that this surplus was running out. Industries closed down, unemployment rose, productivity stagnated, high inflation ate up the economic growth. So the capitalists went on to the offensive to raise their profits. And just like Thatcher and Reagan and others attacked the working class across the world in the 80s, the Swedish bourgeoisie tried to attack the Swedish labor movement head on with a mass lockout in 1980. Uh, But in Sweden, they were defeated. The working class and the workers' movement was too powerful. So in order to attack the workers, they had to lean on the reformists. They had to use the tops of the workers' movement, the tops of the unions and, the, and social democracy. And in the past 30 years, everything has changed. Sweden has been the country with the highest growth in inequality in the entire OECD. Schools, hospitals, elderly care and the entire welfare system is actually in crisis now. They basically cut off one-fourth of all the employed from the public sector since 1990. And now during the corona crisis, Sweden has the fifth highest amount of reported deaths per capita in the world. Bernie Sanders calls this Scandinavian-style socialism. But this is not socialism. This is capitalism in crisis. And what has happened now to the mighty Swedish social democracy? It is they, together with the bourgeois parties, that has carried out all these attacks. This party used to get over 50% in the elections. Now they get half that. They used to have hundreds of thousands of members with active organizations almost in every block. Now the internal life of the party is practically dead. 10 minutes. The, the ex-Stalinists, the left party, they've supported the social democrats in government and is correctly not seen as an alternative. So the authority of the reformists has collapsed compared to before. Uh, but from our point of view, I think this is a good thing. Lenin called these people the labor lieutenants of capital. And what this situation means is that they can't control the work movement of the working class like they used to. But of course, with, especially with older workers, there are still big illusions in reformists. And at one stage, the workers are going to have to pass through the school of left-wing reformism in Sweden, just like in other countries. But now they will learn quicker than they would have in the past. And just like in the rest of the world, the class struggle is coming to Sweden. But the class struggle now won't be like the post-war period. It will actually be more similar to the harsh and bitter struggles of a hundred years ago. But this time, the working class is much more powerful. 
And rather than trying to lull the workers to sleep like the reformists do, what we must do is tell the workers the truth. To have a future worthy of the name, to have a future worthy of the name, we cannot limit ourselves to what capitalism allows. Two minutes remaining. This means nothing more, nothing less than that the working class must assume power. Thanks. Thank you, Frederick. Uh, So the next speaker we have is uh, Roberto Sarti from Italy. Uh, You ready? Yes, I'm ready. Go ahead. Good evening, uh, comrades from all over the world. After the excellent uh, lead-off by uh, Niklas and a very good contribution by Frederick, uh, a little taste uh, of a Southern European uh, contribution. Uh, Niklas, in his lead-off, quite correctly quoted uh, Bernstein. And there is a very famous quotation uh, that is also in uh, Rosa Luxemburg's book, uh, Social Reform or Revolution, a quote by Bernstein that uh, said, uh, well, Bernstein said, the final goal, no matter what it is, is nothing. La, la meta final no importa lo que es, no es nada. The movement is everything. So this is the essence of reformism. What it means is gradualism. The fact that you move that you move and you conquer little by little, piece after piece, one MP after another, un deputado, un deputado, eh, una, un, one council after another, un consejo comunal, después de, eh, we can achieve a better society. And uh, for someone, ultimately, even socialism is the center of this thing. Is the main difference, as uh, uh, Frederick says in his contribution, between us and the reformists, because Marxism and the reformists. The need for a revolutionary break, the need for a changing of the phase of status. Uh, this was also the center, not only of the program of the Socialist Social Democratic Party, the center non solo della politica del Partito Social Democratas, uh, not only of the, of the Italian, of the Social Democracy, but also of the Communist parties and particularly of the Italian Communist Party uh, after the Second World War. Uh, as you may know, it was one of the biggest uh, party, Communist Party of the Western world, the, the biggest Communist Party of the Western world. Uh, the idea, and they followed the idea that uh, the working class should become one, uh, the ruling class, but the ruling class within capitalism. So in a situation of compromise with the bourgeoisie, ruling together with the bourgeoisie. Uh, and for a number of uh, years, uh, decades, uh, this uh, seemed to work because of this, well, because uh, of the situation of the Second World War that gave a very strong position for the reformist part, for reformism. Uh, for example, in Italy, uh, there were a number of uh, regions where uh, the Communist Party had more than 60% of the vote. They, Five minutes. They, they, conquered, they conquered cities and regions. They made a lot of reforms. It was like uh, to live in those uh, regions. It was a bit like uh, living in uh, Sweden, uh, as far as the reforms were concerned. Uh, the, and it was a sector of uh, the bodies uh, built uh, by the Communist Party, like the cooperatives, uh, built by the socialists before and then the communists, that really 
actually became part of the ruling class. Uh, for example, uh, controlling a large part of the uh, of the supermarkets uh, and other sectors of the economy. Uh, they think that they cannot, they can change from inside the system, but it's not possible. You cannot change the system from the inside. It's the system that will change you instead. And uh, in 1989, uh, after the collapse of Stalinism, even uh, the, the Communist Party dissolved. Uh, a party of 2 million uh, people in the 1970s was reduced into nothing. Uh, but uh, as, uh, um, as uh, Niklas said, and also Frederick, uh, we are living now in a completely different situation. We are in a stage where the days of uh, reformism are gone. This does not mean that reformist parties are not possible to rise again. But uh, these, uh, these reformist parties will have a very, very weak character because they will rise sometimes with code to power. They cannot deliver anything and they will fall into crisis. This is the example that we see clearly in a number of countries in Europe. We saw the example of Podemos, Syriza, La France Insoumise in France. See, France Insoumise. Uh, they all rise and then they fell, or they are still alive, but they were reduced as importance very, very heavily in the space of very few years. So we are not living anymore in, a, in an epoch of... Uh, social democratic or communist parties that are really Stalinist, were really Stalinist parties. Ten minutes. Of a kind of, of a kind of parties that could live for decades and rise gradually and peacefully, you know, and can have a hope to get a position, a strong position, eh, eh, che, che pueden ganar una posición stable nella, nella sociedad. Esto no es posible. No es más posible. Eh, there will be parties of crisis. From one side, the bourgeoisie will need reformist uh, parties. Will need uh, uh, reformist parties to hold back the working class. This is clear. But uh, they they will not uh, be able the bourgeoisie to control through the reformist parties the masses as they did before, as they did. After, uh, until the 80s. So we are living in a time that is more, much more like uh, the 30s of the 20th century. Uh, when the uh, reformist parties will rise, will shift very rapidly into a uh, left reformist or centrist direction. Van a dare una vuelta muy rápida al centrismo o al reformismo. And, that, and, and, and uh, uh, in the space of a very few times, they will collapse. And we have to remember that in the 30s, the revolutionary forces, the, the, the section of the Fourth International that follow the ideas of Trotsky, the ones who follow the, the parties, of, uh, were able to make important gains in this party, in this uh, centrist or left reformist form. So we are entering a period where... The, the teaching of Trotsky of the 30s will become more and more relevant for our work. Two minutes uh, remaining. Uh, uh, the method of, of working uh, between this reformist part, inside this reformist uh, 
So uh, this uh, is the teaching that we have to make to live to make a living again in our daily work to be successful in the intervention of the stormy events of the next period of revolution and counter-revolution that will be faced and with the, uh, the crisis of reformism in the epoch of the end. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Uh, thank, thank you, Pepe. Uh, the next speaker we have uh, will be Jonathan from uh, Colombia. Jonathan, are you there? Uh, yes, Joe. Uh, how are you? Uh, Greetings to everybody. Greetings to all the comrades of the world. This is a very beautiful and important event. And thanks to uh, comrades uh, Nicholas, Frederick, and Roberto. Uh, it's uh, very important for us uh, here in South America uh, getting this approach uh, to their experiences in, in Europe. Um, Colombia will have a very different case here. In- Jonathan, sorry, can you pause for translation, please? Oh, sorry, sorry. Jonathan, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, so, yes. Okay, so now the situation in Colombia is uh, we, we're we under a very particular case. Uh, we're under the Duque's uh, regime, Ivan Duque. Um, this is a very particular case because it's uh, part of this uh, Bonapartistic wave that uh, we're seeing in the world. Uh, we can uh, see this in the cases as uh, Boris Johnson or Donald Trump. And it's like uh, going back to Bonapartism, but in a farcical way. If we, um, if we remember a uh, Marxist quote on 18 Brumer. And if we're speaking about, um, about uh, farce as a theatrical genre, um, Duque is like a uh, jester or maybe a puppet. Well, he's uh, called a puppet by, by the people because um, workers understand uh, he's not the, um, the real president. Uh, um, the, the real govern, the, the real uh, ruler in Colombia is Alvaro Uribe, uh, a former president and a former employee of Pablo Escobar. That basically means that we are ruled by the most backward version of capitalism. Uh, well, we are ruled by gangsters. And, uh, well, this is uh, very bad for the workers uh, because uh, that means uh, we are ruled by killers. And there's been a lot of killing in Colombian history and especially in recent history from uh, 60 years since from uh, since 60 years uh, to now, and the um, the origin of this uh, uh, violence and the explanation of this is the, um, it's a very backward ruling class who had a lot of uh, difficulties um, on uh, um, in, in planting capitalism here in in Colombia, and because um, they. They couldn't succeed uh, with capitalism. They couldn't succeed on um, developing solutions to the um, everyday problems of the people. And that creates a a vacuum in politics. And this space, this void is uh, filled with with violence, a lot of violence, any kind of violence you can think about. Yeah, Jonathan, can you speak in shorter sentences, please? Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. Uh, so um, 
What do we have uh, to confront this violence? Uh, not very much. That's, um, the, the only thing um, we have now to fight back this is um, Gustavo Petro. Oh, five minutes have gone. And it's not a very good option because it's not even a reformist uh, option. If we analyze uh, his uh, speech and his discourse, uh, he's actually a liberal. Um, he, um, there is a common root uh, with um, Chavez, uh, between Petro and Chavez, and that's uh, Simon Bolivar. In both cases, they um, recognize uh, Bolivar as an option for the masses in, in South America. But um, uh, while Chavez understood the lessons from history, uh, Petro uh, didn't. Um, Chavez understood uh, that the way to update Bolivar thinking was socialism. Uh, Petro's intention is to develop uh, something that he calls human capitalism. As Marxists, we understand that uh, such thing doesn't exist. We understand that human capitalism is the same thing as a vegetarian tiger. But why is he so popular? if he says such um, stupid things. Um, the main explanation is uh, because of lack of options. And this lack of options is the result of uh, two processes. First, um, the violence of the rolling classes. The result of that is the killing of the main leaders of the workers and peasant movement. And this happening even now with the killing of uh, social leaders. And the second, um, the second process is a huge lack of theory, of theory, a huge tradition of a lack of theory in the left. This uh, lack of uh, theoretical work, work uh, has um, made a huge space uh, to this Petro project to develop, even though it doesn't work. Ten minutes. So has Petro any chance to succeed? Well, maybe because um, um, uh, we are facing a um, uh, very big political crisis in the ruling class. Um, Uribe is under a big pressure, mainly because uh, first we're under an economic crisis now. That means the support, the U.S. support is not as big as it used to be uh 10 or 15 years ago when he was uh, the official president. And um, <clears throat> the ruling classes also has a, a crisis of leadership. And the explanation is the same. Under an economic crisis, they cannot offer other solution that, than violence. So in that sense, Pedro has a chance to succeed. But is that a solution for the workers? It's certainly not. Why? Because we doesn't have uh, the conditions we heard to develop not not even reformism and but uh, human capitalism. Well, you know, what about the other options we have in Colombia on the left on the workers' movement? Two minutes left. Uh, uh, the other versions are uh, sectarianism as Maoism. Sorry, other options. And the rest of Stalinism, it's uh, supporting Petro. That's why um, we are insisting here in Colombia on building a cadre 
organization based on theoretical work and in the ideas of Marxism. Thank you very much, comrades. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, the next speaker we have is Garcia. Uh, Garcia will be speaking in Spanish, translated in the Zoom call itself. Uh, you, Garcia, you have to unmute. You have to accept the unmute. And Sarah, you are ready to translate? Yep. Okay, should be good to go. Okay, ahí se escucha. Ok. Bueno, mi nombre es Lautaro García, de la sección argentina de la CMI, de la Corriente Socialista Militante. Hola, mi nombre es García Lautaro, de la, de la CMI de Argentina. Sorry, in English. Sorry, I am I'm García Lautaro, from the um, IMT, uh, uh, from Argentina. Y quería, en primer lugar, enviar un saludo a las marxistas y los marxistas de los cinco continentes que nos están escuchando. First, I would like to, to say hello to all the comrades from all over the world. Como se discutió ayer en la sesión de Un Mundo en Llamas, el mundo ha entrado en una nueva etapa. Like we discussed yesterday, the, the world is in a, in a new development now. El derrotero comenzado por el sistema en el 2008, agravado ahora por la pandemia de COVID, es un punto de inflexión. It started in 2008 and now with the COVID-19, we, we are seeing a new development que configura la nueva era a la que hemos entrado, la era de la revolución y la contrarrevolución a nivel mundial. This is the new era of revolutions and counter-revolutions worldwide. En este sentido, Argentina expresa las particularidades locales de esta crisis mundial. In, in this sense, Argentina expresses specific, specific problems. Y toda su política se desarrolla en este marco. And all the politics from Argentina expresses itself in this, in this frame. La crisis del reformismo se expresa que este, más allá o independientemente de sus intenciones, no puede dar una respuesta. The, the crisis of reformism in Argentina represents that uh, reformist parties cannot give a good and a clear answer. Que no sea el ajuste o una economía de subsistencia a la crisis del capitalismo argentino. That doesn't adjust to, to Argentinian capitalism. Ya que no se puede controlar lo que no se posee. Because you can't control what you cannot possess. Pareciera ser que estos gobiernos reformistas quieren girar la rueda de la historia hacia atrás. It's, it's like the want to go desconociendo al imperialismo, desconociendo la fase superior del capitalismo. About the role of Intentando sortear el desarrollo de los monopolios, los trusts o los carteles. Intentando sortear el desarrollo de los monopolios, los trusts o los carteles. En la idea de volver a un capitalismo productivo. En épocas de auge económico como las que vimos en América Latina en el periodo 2003, 2014, 2015. Fue más, fue más fácil para las opciones policlasistas llevar adelante una política de garantizar las ganancias de los empresarios, banqueros y terratenientes y a su vez, al mismo tiempo, atender las demandas de los trabajadores. Pero en épocas como esta, de crisis profunda, esto es imposible. In times of deep like now, that's no hay base material para el reformismo, como explicaron ya en esta misma charla. 
en Argentina, luego de cuatro años de ataques constantes a los derechos de la clase obrera por in, parte in, del nefasto gobierno de Macri. En Argentina, after four years of, of fight backs with the Macri government against the working class, que representaba los intereses más rancios de la burguesía y el imperialismo, that represented clearest, the clearest bourgeoisie interests. A finales de 2019 ha vuelto al poder político del Estado el peronismo. Um, in 2009, the peronismo came back to Argentina. En un frente denominado Frente de Todos. In something called... Uh, frente de Todos. Uh, yeah, Frente de Todos. It would be like a across-the-board kind of party for everybody. El peronismo es un movimiento policlasista, con una dirección burguesa, pero con una base obrera y popular. The, the, the peronismo party is... Um, ¿Puedes repetir lo último? El peronismo es un movimiento policlasista, con una dirección burguesa, pero con una base obrera y popular. A clear bourgeois direction, but it has uh, the working class is the base of the party. Five minutes. Cinco minutos. Y sus límites han quedado claros en esta pandemia. And the limits are quite clear in this pandemic. Eh, ya que a pesar de intentar tomar medidas para paliar la crisis, because even though they, they try to implement measures against the pandemic, el retroceso de las condiciones de vida es una realidad para todos los jóvenes y los trabajadores en Argentina. The, the going backward in Argentina is, is becoming a real thing. Despidos, recortes, rebajas salariales, Le aumento de la pobreza. Layoffs, austerity, poverty. Con esto vemos que independientemente de quién gobierne o de qué medidas eh, tome, With this eh, we can see that independently of whoever governs the country, independientemente de si es un gobierno neoliberal o si es un gobierno reformista, nacional y popular, whether it's neoliberal or reformist, existe una misma realidad. There's the same reality. El capitalismo en el marco de la profundización de esta crisis, Capitalism and its deep crisis solo puede imponer retrocesos a nuestras condiciones de vida. Can only make us go backwards. Esto, con esto no decimos como suelen hacer los ultraizquierdistas que todos los gobiernos son iguales, that all governments are the same. sino que todos sucumben ante la misma lógica del capitalismo. But all of them follow the same direction in regards of capitalism. Porque no tienen otra alternativa que ofrecer. Because they don't have any other alternative to offer. Pero también es verdad que el peronismo como movimiento. But it's also true that the peronism as a movement. Mantiene una tutela política e ideológica sobre los trabajadores. Maintains a, a right over the workers in Argentina. Y esto nos lleva al debate con la izquierda en Argentina. Sabemos que la formación de un partido revolucionario tiene dos fases. Por un lado, la formación de los cuadros, el programa, la teoría. First, the, the creation of the cadres. Y por otro lado, eh, el, el acceso a las masas, ganar a las masas, and, porque and sin las the, masas no vamos a ningún lado. La pregunta entonces es, ¿cómo ayudamos the question is, how do we help? a una ruptura definitiva con el policlasismo a enormes sectores de la clase trabajadora y la juventud? Que ven al peronismo como una alternativa válida. That see the, the peronismo like a valid alternative. Y para esto sostenemos que la izquierda 
Debe ubicarse en la trinchera junto a los explotados. Must maintain its position with the oppressed. Aplicando la teoría del Frente Único. Using the idea of the United Front. Para demostrar el papel de las direcciones reformistas. To show the real face of the reformists. El nacionalismo burgués solo va a ser superado. Uh, the can only be surpassed a condición de que exista un poderoso partido revolucionario de masas. With the condition that there is a strong uh, working class party. Y para que esto suceda, la táctica del Frente Único es indispensable. And, and for this, the tactics of the United Fronts are essential. Táctica que se resume en la consigna golpear juntos, marchar separados. ¿Puedes repetir? La táctica del Frente Único que se resume en la consigna. La independencia de clase no se debe confundir con independencia política en relación a las masas. Actualmente la dirigencia de la izquierda argentina que se expresa en el Frente de Izquierda y los trabajadores FIT ¿Puedes repetir más lento, por favor? El, actualmente, la dirigencia de la izquierda argentina... Right now, the, 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 the diligence of the, of the left in Argentina... Que se expresa en el Frente de Izquierda y los trabajadores FIT... That expressed in the United Front in Argentina... Ha diluido su programa revolucionario. Have diluted the revolutionary program. Ten minutes. Incluido su programa votado en 2011. Program voted in 2011. Que se expresa en una combinación de sectarismo, parlamentarismo. That is basically par parliamentarism and sectarianism. Y economicismo. And economization. Quitándole jerarquía a la lucha política por la construcción de un partido revolucionario. Taking the importance of, of building a, a workers' party. Creemos que el movimiento revolucionario en la izquierda en Argentina necesita un debate fraterno sobre estas cuestiones. We believe we need to have a dialogue about this in the United Front in Argentina. Ya que la necesidad de construir un partido revolucionario. Be because the necessity to build a workers' party. Está implícita en la necesidad de este partido para vencer. Is implicit in the necessity of this party to win. Necesitamos una izquierda que se construya bajo la sólida roca de la teoría marxista. Una dirección revolucionaria que pueda hacer avanzar a la clase trabajadora hacia la toma del poder. Derrocando políticamente a la burguesía y liquidando a su Estado. Avanzando hacia la construcción de un Estado obrero. Advancing towards a workers, a workers state. Pandemia, pandemia y crisis capitalistas avanzan juntas. Pandemic and capitalist crisis go together. Y se abre un escenario en el que veremos levantamientos e insurrecciones populares. And for this we will see insurrections all over the world. El octubre rojo latinoamericano no fue un hecho aislado. The red October in South America was not was not a singular instance. Sino una muestra de lo que se viene. No hay tiempo que perder, debemos preparar el futuro. Así que invito a todos los que nos están escuchando desde Argentina, so I invite everybody who's listening from Argentina a sumarse a la corriente socialista militante to, to join the international Marxist tendency. y construir las fuerzas del marxismo en Argentina. Muchas and gracias. Build, and build Marxist forces in Argentina. Thank you very much, comrades.
Thank you very much. Uh, the final speaker we will have is uh, Hans Gert from Germany. Uh, before I let Hans speak, I just want to say we know that there's been some technical issues with the stream. There has been some technical issues with the stream. Uh, if you refresh your browser, uh, it should repair this. Uh, if you're in YouTube, you can find the link in the chat to do this. Okay, the next speaker we have is Hans Gert. Hans, are you uh, good to yes, go? Yes, I'm ready. Hello, comrades. Greetings again from uh, Germany, from the German section of the international Marxist tendency to the rest of the world. Some comrades have made some very important uh, statements already on the question of reformism, and uh, I do not have to repeat everything they said. It's very important that we see there are different shades of reformism and centrism. And as the crisis deepens, there will be also more radical forms of reformism, of left reformism present in the labor movement that the, the, the school that the workers will have to go to. <clears throat> and like in the 1970s and 1980s, we will be confronted again with shades of left reformism that claim socialism as their destination. But then they will say we have to achieve step by step. And they will say we have to be realistic. And the excuse will be the uh, seemingly or alleged lack of consciousness and back the, the alleged backwardness of the masses, which they see as something static. Now, we emphasize in our transitional demands in our program, the key issue of private property, smashing private property of the capitalists and uh, the capitalist state. And we, we call now more than ever in the present situation of, for the nationalization of the commanding heights of the economy and workers' control. At the same time, we will hear reformists uh, uh, presenting slogans like democratization, industrial democracy, workers' participation, and co-determination. Here in Germany, after two world wars that were lost by the ruling class in Germany in 1918 and 1945, there was a desire by the working class for the nationalization of monopolies and break with capitalism. And this, was, this movement, this pressure was derailed twice with the help of the reformists Uh, when they said, no, we cannot have full nationalization, we, you can have workers' participation, you can have workers' co-determination in the boards of management. And this has been a source of corruption, of bribing shop stewards and top trade union leaders who in many cases have become members of supervisory boards of capitalist companies and adopt capitalist thinking. The biggest union in Germany, which is IG Metall, a very powerful union so far, has uh, statutes and there is a sort of clause four in the statutes of IG Metall, like, uh, like in the Labour Party in, in Germany, it's chapter two of IG Metall statutes, which calls for the nationalization of the key industries. Five minutes. Uh, yes. How much? Anyway. Five minutes have gone. Continue. Okay. So, in the, but in the moment of truth, when it comes, you know, to applying this uh, chapter two, even the left reformists would say, well, this is not the moment to call for nationalization. There's no mood for it. The masses wouldn't understand it and do not demand it. And um, we've also made uh, an intervention at Lufthansa demos recently demanding for the nationalization and working control, workers' control. But some union leaders told us to put on the placard demanding workers' control 
and they they even threatened to call for the security forces to get us away from the demo if we continue to put forward this demand for nationalization. And at the similar demo, we wanted to read out a solidarity message by a Swiss comrade working in, in on, on an airport. And this was uh, banned by the union bureaucracy uh, because they said, we do not want to scare the shareholders by calling for nationalization. So we see what Trotsky said in one of his last writings, that in the period of imperialist decline, the union bureaucracies of all shades, and there are all shades of unions in the uh, airline industries in Germany, union bureaucracies uh, uh, fusing and getting closer to the ruling class and the bourgeois state. And also, yes, also another uh, important issue when, when you deal with reformism is their worship of the bourgeois state and their adoration for the bourgeois state. But uh, you know two, what? Two minutes does? remaining. Sorry? What two minutes is, remaining, two minutes. please. Okay. Yeah. What's even worse than worshipping the bourgeois state is reformists in the left party and reformists in the trade union bureaucracy worshipping the European Union as a product of enlightenment. You get reformists on the right wing of the left party, Die Linke, saying that the European Union was an internationalist, left-wing, progressive, and peacemaking project that had learned the lessons of World War I and World War II. And this is a completely sentimental point of view and uh, really will lead to enormous uh, delusions and uh, defeats in the future. And also reform is what they do. Instead of mass mobilization, they are heading for government positions. You know, when listening to Pepe, I remember Fausto Berdinotti, Italian Communist Party leader. In 2004, he came to Germany and before the European election. And he said, we in Italy, we have to join the next government to get Berlusconi, Berlusconi out. Otherwise, we will be stoned by the workers. This is what Berdinotti said. You please A wrap few up, years Hans. later, Berti, yes, coming to the end. Bertinotti and his party were stoned by the workers for being in government, carrying out cuts, privatizations and the war in Afghanistan in the name of ousting Berlusconi. And therefore, we must be prepared, you know, for uh, reformists all, of all shades, you know, that they are looking for government positions and that, that this will be an enormous defeat implicit. And therefore, it's all the more important to build strong sections of the international Marxist tendency to prepare for the future battles. Thank you. Thank you, Hans. Uh, so the uh, last, uh, finally, we will have Nicholas uh, wrap up here. Uh, you good to go, Nicholas? Yep. Take it away. Well, um, there was a couple of questions in the chat as well. I thought I'd take up as I saw them. Uh, one was, what are the memoranda? Now, it's um, for those of you who weren't politically active at the time, you might have missed it. But the European Union, as part of the um, bailout of Greece, which in, in reality was a bailout of the German and French banks, uh, but as part of that, they asked the Greek government to agree to a memorandum, uh, basically a, a number of uh, attacks and counter-reforms, cuts, uh, an austerity program, basically. Uh, and it was a savage one. And it wasn't just one. I think there were three in the end. The final, well, I think now it might have been four, might be four now. Anyway, each successive bailout, they have to sign a new memoranda. 
So it wasn't just that the European Union asked the Greeks to pay back the money or have a repayment plan. They asked them to carry out the specific measures, specific attacks on the working class in order to get uh, this bailout money. In the end, which cut the living standards of Greek workers by more than half. So uh, agreeing to these, uh, uh, to one of these packages is a clear, it's just one of the crimes of Syriza, or the crime of Syriza. Uh, and it is the reason why they got them booted out of government uh, recently. Uh, someone in the chat pointed out that Podemos has actually uh, changed their policies, not just on the national question, but on a host of other things. And that's obviously the case. All of it uh, removed the number of points on the program, which would be inconvenient uh, entering the government or supporting a socialist government. Yeah, the uh, socialist party government, the socialist. Um, Frederick spoke on Sweden. Fredrik spoke about Sweden, and there was apparently some confusion between Sweden and Switzerland. This is uh, something that you have to face a lot. Sweden is uh, not the country of uh, cheese and watches. Uh, it's the one with Ikea and uh, well, yeah, herring. <laughs> the small little fish, anyway. Yeah. Um, no, but uh, yeah, Switzerland is not really the country of cheese and watches either, as I found out when I talked to them. Uh, anyway, but the point about the Swedish uh, workers is that it seems to work. Reformism seems to work for all historical period. Uh, well, at least for two decades, maybe three. Um, and this was the case also in a number of, number of other European countries. Uh, the, very similar stories you can hear told about Britain. And this was the, uh, they say, there was the period when reformism appeared. And so, when, uh, you know, the, so it was the, this... There's a saying about the Labour government of 1945. Uh, it's the only one that ever carried out the program it was elected on. And, and that probably is true also of uh, a number of the Swedish governments in the period after the Second World War. And it seemed by that little by little, reform by reform, uh, you might achieve socialism. Well, if, if you went on strike, you got a little bit of the wages and so on. It seemed, seemed that reformism actually worked even in those countries where the reformists weren't in government. So you have this phenomenon also by conservative governments are introducing reforms under the pressure of the class, of the working class, sometimes also the pressure of the Soviet Union being on the borders, the ruling class, and also the massive economic upswing. And this, uh, so the capitalists made a number of reforms in, other, in order to buy social peace. But this was not across the whole of the world. This was... Uh, only in the uh, advanced capitalist countries this happened. And it's also, um, uh, the, they also have another name, which is the imperialist country. And there is a link between reformism and imperialism. Reformism is only possible on the basis of super exploitation of the masses of the third world, not because the workers of the West are exploiting the workers of the South or anything of the sort. It's, uh, it's because you can give some reforms to some workers some of the time, uh, to paraphrase Bob Marley. But you can't give all the workers all the reforms all of the time. So the massive profits they were making uh, uh, in the ex-colonial countries enabled them then to make not as big profits uh, in the West. In, and thus ensure and thus buying themselves social peace uh, in the advanced capitalist countries to prevent the workers' revolution there. But this was the period of the colonial revolution when uh, uh, countries in Africa, Middle East, uh, Latin America and so on rose up uh, against imperialism, you know, um, the Cuban revolution, the Chinese revolution, etc. So the two, the two things uh, are, are linked. Ten minutes. And um, 
yeah, Ted Grant made this point in, um, uh, I forgot the name of the document, preparing for power, preparing for power. Because of the super exploitation of colonial masses, actually this quote is from um, Where is Britain Growing by Trotsky. Uh, because of the super exploitation of the colonial masses, the British imperialists were, imperialists were a- enabled to grant concessions to a privileged stratum of the British working class, and even to a certain extent, to raise the level of the whole of the British workers above that of the European workers. And that's also why you have the strength of reformism in the advanced capitalist countries, but you don't actually have the reformists uh, in the uh, ex-colonial countries. They might uh, appear as temporary phenomena and so on, but there's no uh, economic or social basis of reformism doesn't exist, as uh, Jonathan pointed out. There's also uh, partly uh, the specifics of the situation in Argentina which also doesn't have a tradition of uh, mass reformist organization, but instead have this uh, tradi- rather strange tradi- tradition of Peronism. So um, uh, sometimes when uh, comrades go out and they travel out of the advanced capitalist countries and they go to another part of the world, they go and they go looking for the, the Labour Party or the Social Democratic Party, but it doesn't exist. In fact, the, the parties of the Socialist International, which is a joke, but anyway, the so-called Socialist International. They uh, were the parties of uh, Ben Ali in Tunisia and of Mubarak in Egypt. Um, so uh, the, um, this, uh, this particular phenomenon of reformism in this kind of uh, long historical sense is, is, is a phenomenon of uh, the advanced capitalist country. But then as uh, Pepe pointed out, uh, this is, uh, reformism is a thing of the past. In fact, it's quite, it's quite long ago now, since the reformists were actually capable of delivering anything. Um, I, not since the, uh, in most countries, they have not been able to give any, any reform since the early 1980s. But the leadership of the labor movement always lags way behind uh, the objective situation. And you five, often five find, minutes remaining. You often find a situation where the mass of workers are moving to the left, but because the consciousness of the leaders of working class is formed in the past, at the same time, they are moving to the right. And on the surface of things, it, mo- it seems like politics is moving to the right, which then in the minds of reformists justifies a further move to the right. And the only thing that breaks that cycle is the entry of the masses into the scene. Um, uh, and I think that's, um, that, that's part of the phenomenon we're seeing now. And really, the, well, it's to say like a consciousness lags behind events. And uh, leadership lags behind the consciousness. So consciousness catches up with a bang. The consciousness of the working class. And, the lead, and the, there's also where you have these quite sharp turns also in the situation of uh, the leadership of the class. So, for example, the apparently out of nowhere phenomenon of Corbyn and Sanders. Uh, and, uh, but then also the very rapid uh, disorganization and demoralization that followed their uh, defeat, uh, which then prepares the way for a, another uh, movement of, on a higher level. Because uh, young people and workers, they will have learned the lesson. And they were not entered into the next wave of the movement uh, in, with the same naivety that they entered into the first one. And in that sense, nothing is lost in history. But obviously, uh, this uh, gradual approximation and this is an approximation towards a revolutionary position that is taking place. The workers are gradually seeking alternatives and they're moving further and further to the left. But there is nothing 
between uh, capitalism and socialism. And in a similar way, there is no solution. Uh, there's no like between a revolution and uh, austerity. And so the, these uh, all these uh, like groups or parties or tendencies that try to occupy the space in between reform and revolution, or even more between uh, uh, austerity and revolution, all of these are, uh, uh, are have let's say they will all turn to dust, uh, and they will uh, they will as soon as they will get a chance, they will fail. But that approximate movement, approximating revolutionary position, uh, cannot continue indefinitely. And the um, and the working class, and by the time the working class are ready to draw revolutionary conclusions on mass, they do not have time to construct a revolutionary party from scratch. And so our role must be to uh, build that party and that organization now. And our uh, and we must base ourselves in that building on those. Uh, on that layer of the class which draws conclusions faster than the rest. So, um, uh, and, all, and in that period, that layer is quite large. So uh, our, we must maintain our uh, patient criticism of the reformists, the left reformists and the centrists uh, when the such currents arise. But our task is, uh, but we must prepare by building the organization today. Thank you, Nicholas. Uh, so that's it for this session. Um, uh, we will now uh, take a break for an hour before the other sessions begin. Uh, and there's there's three sessions this afternoon or <laughs> later in the day, depending where you are. Uh, there's uh, Marxism versus postmodernism, Marxism and the environment, and Marxism versus sectarianism. Uh, and those will begin at 5.30 uh, British summertime. Uh, so see you all then.